Before long, a standard news report visual language established itself, one that's immediately recognisable to anyone. Me has this report. It starts here, with a lacklustre establishing shot of a significant location. Next, a walkie-talkie preamble from the auteur, pacing steadily towards the lens, punctuating every other sentence with a hand gesture and ignoring all the f***s milling around him like he's gliding through the f***ing matrix, before coming to a halt and posing a question. What, what, what comes next? Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Now, as always, everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps are relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find stuff later. Okay, so this episode we have a really, really exciting feature. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the world of robotics. So we're going to be talking about where we've come from, where things are at right now, uh, what some companies are doing, what's on the horizon, and then we'll, we'll end it by giving our take on what we think is coming in the future for robotics. And we've got a bunch of cool news, so um, we'll start that right now. Oh, wait, no, we won't. Why is that? Because we have a disclosure. And we've also got to ask each other what we've been up to. Oh, of course. Okay, let me do that news thing again. <laughs> uh, and we've got a bunch of cool news, so we've got that coming right up. So what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks, mate? Most of our listeners have probably seen the prices of crypto dropping hectically. So I awesome. bought Monero for the first time, actually, and I sold a few of the coins that I wasn't so happy to be owning. So it's pretty cool. It's a, a nice tax event for next year. So very yeah. exciting. Yeah, offset your gains, mm. with some losses. Mm. Mm. Beautiful times. Beautiful. How did it feel buying Monero? Did you, did you, you, know, did you feel like a common criminal or did you feel like a... a, a a privacy enthusiast. I felt free and liberal, and um, I'm still going to declare my, my my transactions though, because that is the the thing that I should do. But um, of course, yeah. Anyway, I wouldn't want the wouldn't want the the government to miss out on some sick gains, right? <laughs> um, what else? Oh, I listened to this really cool talk a few years old by Frank Abagnale Jr., who um, they based the movie Catch Me If You Can off with uh, Leonardo mm. DiCaprio. He was talking about the future of cybersecurity, and he was suggesting to make all purchases on credit cards. So that was really cool. Um, Why was he suggesting that? Because he was basically saying, "Look, with a credit card, you're insured to that certain level, so mm. things are great. If you somebody steals your details, then and swipes your card and takes it all around town, that's not on you. But as, if it's on your debit card, it takes so much longer to trace back, and they've taken mm. money from your account. Mm. I don't know. I still find that." Like it, I get that that's great, but then like credit cards are such a trap, man. It just you got to be so diligent with them. Mm. It's tough. Mm. There was that hour, and I listened to an awesome video. Saw an awesome video by Larkin Rose, which is on the power of the people relative to the power of the government. I'll play a brief clip from it, but check it out. Once upon a time, there were a hundred million people. They had different interests, different beliefs, different occupations. But for the most part, they got along pretty well. Then one day, a gang of a few hundred people showed up. Um, 
need to zoom in some more to see them. I know they're there somewhere. Zoom in. There. There they are. And this gang of a few hundred said to the throng of a hundred million, From now on, you all have to give us a cut of everything you earn. This is an accurate graphical comparison between the number of American taxpayers and the number of U.S. congressmen. And the throng said, Gosh, do we have to give you a cut of what we earn? And the gang of a few hundred said, Yes, you have to. And the throng said, Well, okay, I guess we have to. And one little troublemaker asked, What if we don't? The gang of a few hundred didn't like this and said, If you do not comply, we shall unleash upon you our legions of enforcers. And the throng cried, Oh no, please don't. We will comply. We will pay. This is an accurate graphical comparison between the number of American taxpayers and the total number of IRS employees. That, that's such a good video. You linked it in the uh, the FOMO chat, I think, or it was another chat that oh, we're part of. a little and, chat, I think. Yeah, and mate, it was... Um, yeah, it's really good. I love Larkin Rose. Mm. If you haven't uh, read or listened to The Most Dangerous Superstition... And I'm pretty sure you can get the audiobook for free because he doesn't believe in copyright. Um, mm. It's well worth a read. Like, mm. definitely, one, I, th- I think one of the most important books in the 21st century. Wow. Sheesh. Well, that's you indoctrinating all our listeners. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what have you been up to? <laughs> um, well, I've been buying Bitcoin in the dip. Um, so, yeah, like, just, I don't know. It's good. Like, dollar cost averaging uh, with Amber, which is what I've been using, it just means that you kind of get the benefit of. Um, these kind of falls without actually having to worry about going in and get thing, getting things. But mm. I, I went in and I, went, I bought a bit extra. I bought the dip. Um, so, mm. I mean, I'm just hoping that we go down further. I mean, I'd love to see us hit. I saw, I saw one article today. Um, I don't mm. put much stock in these because, like, you know, every you know, Joe, every morning in your Feedly, there's like a one prediction for uh, $5,000, one prediction for $50,000. You know, mm. it's just like it's uh, no one knows what's going on. But mm. – um, you know, some people were saying, well, like, it's not unfeasible now that we could drop back down to, like, 3,000 US, which would just be amazing. So, mm, uh, mm. yeah, it'd be great. Great buying opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, I mean, actually been getting into the world of automation, too, like, uh, from a um, – for, for work, actually, for my legal work. Yeah. So, uh, there's a company called uh, Joseph, and they do, uh, like, different uh, automation – like, legal automation things. They've built, like, a really cool toolkit. And uh, – just, um, I'm just starting to work out how we can implement that into our practice, um, maybe do things a little bit better. Uh, but, uh, yeah, loving it. Like, there's just the, the, the crazy powerful things you can do with some of these. I mean, they say it's artificial intelligence toolkit. It's really wow. it's just complex programming, you know. But, yeah. but it's so intuitive. Like, the um, uh, really good flow charts, um, if this, then that. Um, That's amazing. And like, you know, like a, a lot of qualifiers and, um, oh, what are the, what's the, I've forgotten the programming term, but you can essentially choose, you know, all of or uh, either either or or both and and all, all sorts of different qualifiers wow. that make things really powerful. That um, looks so cool. I just went on their website. Um, yeah, we'll put this link in the show notes. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and they were great, mate. They, um, they've, you know, they, they, they really looked after us and, um, stepped us through a lot of what's going on. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I've just been like waiting for some time to dig into this and uh, started digging into it now. So, yeah, it's been been really good. Wow. Um, and I listened to a couple of great episodes of the What 
Bitcoin Did podcast as well, and that's um that's Peter McCormick's podcast, and really worth I, I, one of my favorite podcasts. I, I generally try and listen to most of his episodes just because he is one of the best interviewers out there in the crypto world. He just wow. he, and he he talks to so many interesting people, and he's he's been doing um, a number of sections on uh, talking to people who are kind of trying to uh, live a libertarian life, but actually um, take some real action. Yeah. Uh, you know, harnessing crypto. And uh, he talked to one group of people, which included Trace Meyer, who's like one of the original Bitcoin OG guys. I think he got Jeff Berwick, who's the dollar vigilante into Bitcoin way back in like 2011 or something. Wow. Um, he's tied up in this. Tyler Lindholm's the main guy. And they've essentially gotten themselves elected in, in the state of Wyoming in America and have been bringing in all these different acts. He brought in this thing called the Food Freedom Act. And, and basically what it was... Uh, and, and you got to listen to it here, hear him tell it. But he basically, uh, it, food freedom for him meant just abolishing all the le- legislation around food. And mm. say, so it does overnight shut down all the regulatory uh, um, food, you know, like the food safety authorities and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Got rid of all the legislation. Anyway, so some people were saying, oh, look, from other states are saying, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to like make everyone have diseases and you're going to, everyone's going to get sick. And it's been like five years and it's, they've seen a massive boom in uh, food business yeah. and like, um, and they haven't had one food safety incident at all. Like it's been absolutely amazing. So they're kind of like, it's just really interesting to listen to from a perspective of someone who's like, uh, got into Bitcoin, kind of red pilled, eventually found their way into parliament and are now like trying to make a state as free and open as they possibly can within the current framework. So uh, um, very interesting. So that's in Wyoming, isn't it? In Wyoming in the States, yeah. Cool. So so really interesting. Um, and then there was also a great chat with Eric Voorhees as well, uh, who's the CEO of Shapeshift. He's had a bunch of issues recently with um, just like, well, actually for a long time with governments, you know, imposing new monetary laws on his businesses and all sorts of stuff. But um, v- just if you want to, if you want someone, hear someone contend for um, voluntarism or libertarianism, like minimal government, um, Peter essentially fires all these really difficult questions at him and he just answers them. And he's wow. uh, like one of the, yeah, it's just, is brilliant. Like really, really good. OG Bitcoin guy as well. Um, so yeah, like big props to Peter McCormick, what Bitcoin did. Um, mm. And I just, yeah, like if, if you're looking for some interesting podcasts, I'd, I think there are a couple that really stood out to me in the last couple of weeks. Fantastic. That sounds dope. Cool. Joe, is this podcast investment or any other type of advice? No. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, no, we're not saying that you should buy anything at all. Um, we both yeah, waste our money on stupid and frivolous things, shares, funds, cryptocurrencies, um, tax, all kinds of things, uh, some of which we talk about on the show. Yeah, but if we talk about any kind of product – or anything really, it doesn't mean you should buy it or acquire it or whatever. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. Mm. Are you certain you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show slash privacy. It's a great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. And if you're new to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and blockchain tech, you can check out our blockchain basics series, which covers the fundamentals. It'll give you some grounding um, in you know what the different technology does. And that starts from episode two, way back in the FOMO vault and continues on until episode eight. Let's jump into the news. 
So first bit of news, uh, Dinwiddie, the NBA star that we covered, I think, last episode, the episode before, mm. can't actually sell the shares in his contract, the NBA has told him. Yeah, he, he wanted to turn his contract into this digital investment vehicle, but uh, the National Basketball Association... They said, look, you can't use your contract as a digital investment vehicle. Yeah, so he'd, um, he has a $34.4 million contract and he sought to tokenize it and essentially said, look, if I play well enough, I'm going to earn bonuses and I'll give you the upside or some of the upside on that, those bonuses if you hold the token. But the NBA have essentially said that according to the collective bargaining agreement for all the players and all the big sports leagues have these agreements, um, that actually says that no player can assign or otherwise transfer to any third party their right to receive compensation from the team under their uniform player contract. So it's a breach of contract, but nothing else apart from that. Yeah. So oh, awful. we won't have tokenization of an NBA contract. Well, um, oh, there we go. Close the loop. Uh, and, uh, yeah, another little update to another piece. We talked about oil last episode. Now 200 troops, four radars, and one Patriot uh, missile system battery is being deployed in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so mission accomplished? Uh, well, for Raytheon, for, sh- for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want some context on that um, and, you know, to hear our very sarcastic take on the whole situation, uh, you can check out episode 53 where we covered it at around the 36-minute mark. Yeah, we got a couple of interesting comments on that one. So uh, thank you, everyone, who enjoyed it. Next bit of news, uh, the Pirate Bay, everyone's favourite pirating site, has hauled in over $1 million in Bitcoin donations. So they started accepting Bitcoin donations in May 2013, and um, Trustnodes, they counted up the achievement uh, by tracing the funds from the different publicly identifiable wallets that they owned. And in total, they're estimating that the Pirate Bay received a total of 134 Bitcoins with donations spread around several wallets. And that's since 2013. So wow. today's value, uh, uh, eight grand a Bitcoin, that's worth a little over a million dollars. So if, if I donate to the Pirate Bay then and then I, you know, download one of their something from their site, does that mean I'm a paying customer? <laughs> oh, it means you're supporting a charitable entity, I think. <laughs> uh, that's not legal advice. I have no idea. <laughs> so next bit of news, this one is very close to our heart. Uh, no, it's not really. It's just it's just geographically in the context of the world. It's kind of close. Um, the Australian Capital Territory, which funnily enough is where most of Australia's federal government employees live, have become the first state to legalise personal cannabis use. Yeah, so they, yeah, they've they've legalised the well, they're going to legalise the possession, use, and cultivation of small amounts of cannabis. So yeah, um, up to fifty grams per person and a maximum of four plants per household. So I have no idea how, what that would do to somebody, but uh, I'm sure that will mean very happy, sleepy, hungry citizens. Well, not only citizens, but government employees. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the funny part about all this is, you know, in Australia, we for the longest time have had a war on drugs, like in the US, and there's been very strict uh, drug laws. And that's all, of course, come from Canberra, uh, which is really the only city in this state. Um, so, it's yeah, it's very interesting that the first state to legalise the use of recreational drugs is the state that's been responsible for uh, for pushing the agenda of banning the drugs in the rest of the country. Mm. So it looks like it's an end to prohibition, at least the start of the end to prohibition um, in Australia. And hopefully, I, th- I, I, I reckon hopefully for people in Australia, that will mean um, it's healthier for the people who use that substance. And mm. um, 
and hopefully it also means more tax revenue for the government because they could maybe make something of that if they you know bring all these kinds of they'll probably need some kind of a retail law for you know being able to sell it and dispense it oh of course i mean there'll have to be license fees and you know different ways to tax it Mm. So yeah, I mean the interesting part is like it's still in conflict with Commonwealth law. So the yeah. the it's happening in the city where all the Commonwealth laws are made, uh, but it's at the state level. So and Commonwealth uh, is that like the equivalent of federal law in America? Yeah, yeah, right. it's like federal law in America. So so the Ca- Canberra is the federal law city. Like there's not really much else that goes on there except people making federal laws. But it is a territory, like a state in its own right. So it has its own little parliament that can make laws at the state level for the things that states make laws for. So, yeah, it's 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 just, I mean, so, so basically they've legalised it in a place where uh, there's a whole bunch of federal police, federal police have their headquarters, there's, you know, a whole bunch of Commonwealth employees and at Commonwealth law it'll still be prohibited and remain a federal crime and, you know, so anyone in the state who is found with cannabis can still be prosecuted and face potential jail time under the federal law. Hmm. So it's just bizarre. Like the whole thing is very bizarre. Uh, but but there's money to be made, Joe. That's absolutely right. Now there, Australia has a number of um, of medical companies who produce cannabis under license, and generally we sort of use it for either medical reasons or we export it to Canada and America. I believe I'm not sure. So that's sort of the only industry that's there at the moment, as far as I'm aware. But um, sadly, there are no index funds for um, marijuana-related firms. And an index fund is just basically gives you a little slice of all of the firms in the industry, as opposed to having to pick a winner. You sort of balance yourself across the top ones. Yeah, it's like you have like a plant and then you get like a leaf of each part of the plant. And, you know, if, if parts of the plant happen to get cut off and, Packaged and sold to someone, then you. Why are you talking about plants and leaves? (laughs) (laughs) Next bit of news: uh, Bill Gates. uh, Sorry, the Bill Gates-backed carbon capture plant does the work of around about forty million trees. So, in Squamish, British Columbia, there's a company that wants to stop climate change by sucking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. It's called Carbon Engineering, and it uses a combination of giant fans and complex chemical processes to remove carbon dioxide from the air in a procedure known as direct air capture. Now, direct air capture isn't new, but Carbon Engineering says its technology has advanced enough for it to finally make financial sense. And... Other people seem to think so too. So the company's backed by Bill Gates, but also by all giants like Chevron, BHP, and Occidental. And these partnerships will bring carbon engineering's tech to market by using the captured carbon to make synthetic fuels and help extract more oil from the ground. So uh, that, that's, there was a video um, on YouTube, and you can check it out. It's really, really fascinating stuff. To think that one plant does the work of 40 million trees is pretty bold. So what they're suggesting is that they could actually take out with a number of these facilities, you could actually take the world back to the pre-industrial era levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Mm. And then if the um, temperature changes... <laughs> we'll know. We'll know if it was the carbon dioxide or, yeah. or whether maybe it's the fact that we're... No, anyway, um, so one of the top comments here said, look, damn, even the trees are losing their jobs to technology. <laughs> uh, that's one of YouTube comments finest right there. That's really good. 
So Boston Dynamics's Spot Robot is going on sale. Yeah, so it's a nimble dog-like robot called Spot that Boston Dynamics have uh, developed. And uh, Boston Dynamics are like one of the biggest robotic companies in the world. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's their first commercial product. So uh, uh, they've, they've essentially just kind of testing the, the market now with um, with actual commercial offering. Yeah, and you've probably seen videos of Spot. It just sort of walks around and, yeah, does things. And they've, yeah, they've produced an ad highlighting all their specifications. You know, this this current iteration can run for 90 minutes off a single battery charge. It can carry up to 14 kilos. It can operate in between minus 20 degrees Celsius to 45 degrees Celsius, and it's built to withstand dusty and wet environments. Now, we'll link the ad in the show notes, but um, look, that's that's like a very reasonable specs, and it's uh, it's kind of like leading to the question of what commercial applications spot could actually be useful. Now, they've been working for some time with early adopting companies to explore possible industrial applications, but the practical uses of this stuff do kind of seem a little vague. Yeah, well, from what I'm hearing, it's it's kind of cost you about the same amount as a luxury car, um, but right. I haven't actually seen specific numbers yet. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're saying that early customers are already testing spot to monitor construction sites, provide remote inspection at gas, oil, and power installations, and in uh, public safety, um, whatever that means. So, hmm. Uh, like, but look, that that actually is like looking at that. You can kind of think, oh well, like yeah, you you can fully see like a a company instead of hiring, you know, three, four, five employees to uh to to kind of circulate the uh the the outside boundary of a installation at night. You just hire, you just have a few of these robots. Um, they you know they don't need once you paid for them, you paid for them. They don't need wages. They got night vision. Um. They can run really fast. They don't need wages. Be, they don't need wages. <laughs> and they would be terrifying. Like imagine trying to break into one of these places and you're met with this like big mechanical dog. Oh. But wait, wait, isn't it? There's that black and white black mirror episode that's about robotic dogs that are hunting people down. Oh, I don't know mm. if I've seen that one. Um, i tell you what, let me Google that. I don't remember it. It's called Metalhead. Um and it's, yeah, a robot nightmare is what they describe it. Um, yeah. And it's basically, it follows the plight of this chick who's trying to flee from ro- robotic dogs after the unexplained collapse of human society. And the dogs were actually influenced by robot dynamics robots. Um, yeah. Wow. Black Mirror. They're, they're like the, you, you watch Black Mirror and you think, you know, this is, this is like pretty horrible. And then you like start to see a lot of the stuff that they've, predicted kind of coming true and then mm-hmm. anyway um boss's dynamics other big robot called the atlas has um <laughs> recently received uh frankly a pretty terrifying parkour skills upgrade so atlas is this the, the company's humanoid robot and in the past you've probably seen number of videos on them like they first showed it back in i think it was oh, years back and they showed it you know being held up by cables Mm. So it couldn't balance properly. And then you could see it roaming without cables and tether, tethering them up in this, um, you know, in 2015 it was doing some crazy tricks. But now in the most spectacular video to date, you can actually see them performing a complex gymnastic routine, which none of, like unless you as a listener are a gymnast slash yoga 
expert, I don't think you'd be able to do this. Like he's doing like, like, like it's, I say he, it, excuse me, <laughs> it is doing like a jump and then going straight into a roll and then standing up and it's terrifying. Like, yeah, you just got to watch it. I mean, you, you, you can almost feel your hackles rising when you're watching it because it's just like, it's so close to human movement, yet it's so artificial. So we put the YouTube video in our show notes. From the description from YouTube, they say, look, Atlas uses its whole body, legs, arms, torso, to perform a sequence of dynamic maneuvers that form a gymnastic routine. Um, they create these using new techniques that streamline the process. Uh, optimization algorithms transform high-level descriptions of each maneuver into dynamically feasible reference motions. It's terrifying. So we thought this was kind of our inspiration to uh, to do a feature on robots. So we're going to um, just look at a couple other things, and then we're going to jump into a bit more of a deeper dive into what's going on in robotics in general. Mm. Quick shout out wherever you're joining us from. Pleasure having you here. Why not drop? Why not in- drop in? To our sorry, (laughs) (laughs) no, you're spot on there, mate. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? FOMO.show slash Telegram. Okay, so this week we've got a a, a cool tool in our cool tool segment, and it's called swap.online. So, yeah, thank you, Pav. Shout out to you for sending in this link. Pav, you are an excellent sender of links. Keep them mm. coming. Uh, much appreciated. These, uh, they bill themselves as the fastest cross-chain exchange powered by Atomic Swap. Yeah. So it's uh, like basically a decentralized process where you send one crypto and you get another crypto straight to your wallet. Mm. Um, so you, you, have a, uh, you, send a, you send a transaction to the address, you specify the wallet you want it to go to, and you exchange it. And it is literally that. That simple. Mm. And it's it's a brilliant system because it, doesn't it use smart contracts or something like the atomic swaps where it just... I'm, I'm pretty sure it does, yeah. Because you basically select your cryptocurrency and the amount that you want to send. Uh, you can click, click exchange and then they basically try and match you up with somebody else who wants to ex- exchange the same sort of value uh, with another currency um, then you both make a cryptocurrency deposit and they're both held in escrow and then the smart contract just swaps them. Mm. So you get access to one and somebody else gets access to the other. And Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if this is – I need to do a bit more research on this, but it could potentially be a way to uh, mix your coins before sending them to another wallet where, you know, you could, you could essentially do a um, – you know, buy one currency with the intention to convert it into another. So let's say you buy Ethereum. You could say, I'm going to buy some Ethereum and then I'm going to send it to through via this atomic swap system, get it back in Bitcoin and send it to my Bitcoin address and kind of cut off that because it's a decentralized exchange, cut that trail of transactions because you're moving across different chains, essentially. Mm. So I think I think there may be a use case here for like obfuscating your like if you if you've bought something mm. on an exchange mm. and you want to like send it to a wallet that's not associated with that exchange account, potentially, um, this may be a way to do it. Yeah. Well, atomic swaps are just super dope. This site swap online takes Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Ethereum, and Waves, and you can switch between any of those. So mm. the fees 
Uh, I don't actually know what their fees are, but I mean, atomic swaps, the technology behind them costs almost nothing. And it's it's just crazy. You could just switch your Bitcoin for Litecoin or Litecoin mm. for Bitcoin. And mm. it's directly peer-to-peer. Yeah, which is the key there. No custodians, no one in the middle, peer-to-peer. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks for that, Pav. Um, yeah, atomic swaps are so cool. Yeah. Those and decentralized exchanges are so, so cool because regardless of what governments say, the code can really sort of do what it wants. Yeah. And I think it's like as crypto gets more and more adoption and, you know, you start to see Bitcoin become more and more of a kind of like a reserve, I guess, you know, that's it's going to be so important once things start getting denominated in, in Bitcoin or whatever else instead of US dollars because – um, yeah, you'll feasibly be able to move in and out of different assets with no involvement from centralized exchanges. So it's great. Love it. Did you want to do this other yeah. tool? I want to bring some attention to the Yahoo crypto screener. Now, I think we first mentioned this back in episode 18, which is in May 2018, but it's an awesome crypto screener. So it's sort of like, you know, coin market cap. But it has some, there's just one element that I really like about it. Um, so it shows all the top cryptocurrencies. You can sort them by, you know, market cap, price change, whatever it is, volume in the last 24 hours. But there's one column that is just so unique that I don't see anywhere else, which is the 52-week range. And it essentially shows almost like a bar chart where the minimum on the bar chart is the lowest price that that cryptocurrency has been in the last 52 weeks. And the maximum is the largest price it's been at. And then there's like a little blue sort of triangle right above where the price is now. So you can see how high the price of this cryptocurrency is relative to where it's been within the last year. Wow. And that's such a good visualization. I just love that. I think that's such a cool little visualization. Yeah, that's great. Mm. So, yeah. I'm going to have to use this more. I actually use that same formula for stocks, except I have mm. to use a spreadsheet for it. So, I actually have to mm. import all of my stocks manually. But mm. it's such a cool way of just seeing where the price is relative to, yeah, the last year. Mm. So, yeah, cool stuff. Um, that's great. Yahoo Crypto Screener, finance.yahoo.com forward slash cryptocurrencies. Okay, this week in our privacy and security segment, we wanted to cover the Brave browser. So you can find it at FOMO.show forward slash Brave, which will redirect you. And if you like it and use it for a while, we get a donation to the show. Um, but it's essentially, it's just a really fast browser. It blocks all ads and trackers. So it's pretty useful. The primary use I find for it is on on my phone, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I generally use Firefox as my main browser on um, on desktop and I use Brave as like my secondary. Mm-hmm. But on the phone, I've been using Brave now f- basically since yeah. it launched. It just makes browsing, especially when you click on a news link, if you're clicking on a link to a news article, you won't actually realize until you've used Brave, but it takes so much longer to load all those scripts because it's loading all these ad trackers and just destroying your phone with all these cookies. Mm. So, yeah, on my Android, I'm just on firma.show slash brave, and it's just so quick. Yeah, I mean, I literally have – look, I've lost count of the amount of tabs I have open on my 
brave Android phone. And I don't think I've ever actually closed any tabs on that since I got You're it like disgust, two years man. ago. And but it's still going. Like it's still it's still just as fast as ever. Like they just is so well optimized. And you know, yeah, you don't have to worry about any ads. It's pretty good at just keeping everything kind of locked down. And they actually keep count, so you can actually see how many trackers you've mm. blocked. And the other cool thing about Brave is that they've got the basic attention token rewards behind the scenes. So you can um, basically support sites by kind of turning this this on and giving them rewards for your attention. So, yeah, they can – apparently they'll replace – some ads with basic attention token ads, but I've had this enabled on my phone. I just get pop-up notifications um, and you can set how many notifications you want a day. And if you click on those notifications and visit that website, you actually get rewarded in cryptocurrency. So I've got mm. all of about 30 cents um, US dollars. Rolling rise. in it. Dude, just watch me. I'll go, I can spend large. Yeah. Yeah, either way. Still more than rewards points for our credit cards. Yeah, so check out Brave. Um, if you're on if you're on Android or iOS, and I guess if you're listening to this and you're not, I'd wonder what you're on. Um, then uh, yeah, check it out. Brave, I think, is the best browser you can get for your phone at the moment. FOMO.show forward slash brave. This week, we are doing a feature on the state of robotics. So there are a bunch of different types of robots, and we're sure most listeners already have seen what these all look like, but there are so many different types of robots, and just looking at the categories of robot is just insane. Like, there are so many types of robots. So why don't we just go through what different types of robots are there? Okay, so uh, we're kind of sourcing from robotpark.com. So robotpark.com is kind of one of the sites that puts all of this this into perspective, and they've got a really great categorization of all the different types of robots there are, and a lot of them you wouldn't even realize. But um, I guess one of the ones that most people probably know of is stationary robots. So stationary robots are robots that work without changing their position. So you see a lot of these on assembly lines, for example. So there's Cartesian robots, cylindrical robots, spherical robots, SCARA robots, robotic arms, and parallel robots. And they're some of the oldest types of robotic uh, instruments that the industry has used. And, you'll, yeah, like I said, you'll see them all the time assembling cars, machinery, um, food processing. Like those most of the time are the, are the things that have – that, are, that have really kind of pushed this mass-scale manufacturing for the world in the last kind of 50 years or so. Yeah, so these are all stationary robots. So, I mean, the Cartesian robot, for example, is they're an industrial robot whose three principal axes of control are linear. So they actually move in straight lines rather than bend at joints. Um, and they're at right angles to each other. So it, it works across a X, Y, and Z axis. You've got cylindrical robots where the robot's right in the middle and it can sort of interact with stuff within a circular space of itself, which is kind of cool. Mm. Uh, then there's wheeled robots, and these are a bit newer. Um, and uh, you've got basically like anything from single wheel or ball robots um, all the way to four-wheeled, six-wheeled, eight-wheeled, and even tracked robots. And these are, um, uh, you know, like these are using wheel motion, which can be quite easily achieved. Their cost is generally pretty low, um, and it's generally needed when you know, things things just need an e easy way to move. And mm. the biggest example of this that we've probably seen in the last 15, 20 years are the, are the robots that have been sent to Mars. You know I mean? Oh, yeah. They are uh, autonomous units. Um, they've got six wheels or eight wheels or whatever, 
and you know they land and then they do their thing and they're they're, they're quite autonomous um you don't really need to control them that much that uh, we've had robotic cars you know the four wheel we even got two wheel types of robots that can run around and do different things yeah they're they're another robot that is kind of old we know of them and mm. uh, they're a bit of a known quantity so I guess we probably started off with stationary robots because they don't move at all. But, you know, we're going to have, by the time my children are born, it's going to be, you know, why did the robot cross the road, isn't it? Well, that's a great question. Why did it cross the road and whose decision was it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, following that, you've also got legged robots. So, as the name suggests, obviously they use legs. They can perform much better than wheeled robots can on uneven terrain, which is why you've seen them being developed. So... They cost a lot more and the complexity of production is huge, but their advantages on uneven terrain make them almost indispensable. And Spot is actually a four-legged robot, but you've got one-legged robots, surprisingly, two-legged, like bipedal robots, tripedal, quadrupedal, hexapod, and it goes on, um, Mm. types of robots. And even like many-legged robots, which is crazy. Like centipede robots. Creeps me out. Yeah. Then things get a little bit weird. So once you <laughs> once you've gone past, you know these these robots that we see a lot, things get a little bit strange. And so um, there's swimming robots out there, so robot fish and all sorts of things. There's flying robots, you know, like drones, UAVs. Uh, the military use a lot of flying robots for um, their purposes. Um, and then uh, you've got uh, rolling robotic balls as well. So if you've if you've seen some of the Star Wars newer Star Wars movies, they've got some of that in there. Um, swarm robots, Ooh. which is a horrifying name. Um, yeah. They operate collectively and cooperatively. And then you've got modular robots, and modular robots really intrigue me because, uh, like, essentially they've got they've got all sorts of different configurations. They're very flexible. Mm, sometimes they can actually be self-reconfiguring. Self-reconfigurable modular robots are autonomous kinematic machines with variable morphology. They deliberately change their shape by rearranging the connectivity of their parts in order to adapt to new circumstances, perform new tasks, or recover from damage. Yeah, so very, very versatile, flexible, um, horrifying. If they're coming after you, they can take all sorts of different (laughs) forms. Um, And, uh, yeah, and then we really get into the weeds. So you start talking about micro-robots and Mm. nano-robots or nanobots. Yeah, because nano-robots, those are the types of things that you could use medically inside you. I mean, you could, of course, use stationary robots to do surgery and things like that. But, you know, nanorobots, you know, or micro-robots are like real small things for delicate tasks, but nanorobots is where the millimetre scale is too large and bulky. And that's, that, that's something that I'd love to learn more about is how nanorobots and nanotechnology work. But then you've got the, the other odd stuff where because we get a lot of our inspiration. You saw like Leonardo da Vinci's flying machines, you know, influenced by wings of birds and things like that. But we've got soft, elastic robots, which are bio-inspired, you know, inspired from squids or inchworms, both not just structurally, but also functionally. And and, and really sick people <laughs> have actually even taken inspiration from snakes. Like, they actually <laughs> want to make snake robots, as if we didn't have enough snakes in the world already. Oh, I was not afraid of snakes until I came here. Next thing, they're going to put them on planes. Oh. 
Yeah, <laughs> that would be a horror film and a half. I tell you, like the yeah. reboot, Snakes on a Plane Two, <laughs> like an like an eighty five year old Samuel L. Jackson with like some Japanese like passenger who gets on with like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> like thousands of robotic snakes. Nope, absolutely oh. no. Yeah, but and lastly, you know, you got crawler robots and hybrid robots, which is just, I guess. Some sort of mixture of the the above, but it's like a miscellaneous character categories, and it's like mm. doesn't fit into any of the other ones. So, well, let's look at the current applications. I mean, number one, industrial robots. I mean, their manufacturing is the a massive use of it. If you've been to a car factory or had a look around, you'll see that you know more than half of the labor is actually machines they can churn out factories i i remember i lived in a town in uh, in the uk where a lot of auto manufacturing used to be done and this whole town there used to be 10,000 people would work at this plant now it's just seven engineers wow or probably like 15 20 engineers who knows but it's mm. the number is tiny and if you want to see something crazy, like look at the gigafactory that Tesla's building in China and just look at the like extent of robotics that are going up in that factory. I mean, the whole thing is just one automated assembly line, really. Crazy. It's just a big machine, that factory. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. But it can work around the clock. Um, doesn't need to stop. Just needs to be serviced. And you don't have any of those pesky overtime fees, Joe. <laughs> At least not yet until it becomes self-aware. Yeah. Then we'll see what happens. Go on, but, strike. Um, yeah. <laughs> but also the military, obviously, are, yeah. are massive purchases of, of robotics and have allowed have allowed them to do a lot of different things. I mean, you look at the recent conflicts in the Middle East that the US have, you know, the US have waged war there. So much of what they've done has been reliant on robotic technology, uh, particularly drones. Have a look at the Russia's uh, I think it's called uh, Okotnik, which is known as the Hunter, which is an unmanned aerial vehicle. It looks a bit like a USB-2 bomber. It's a sort of a stealth-looking drone, um, and, yeah, it looks just like the American B-2 stealth bomber. They've actually run tests with it where it will fly with an actual plane alongside it, and it will mimic actions so that they can fly almost in um, tandem the drone wow. can go ahead, and the thing is, if you're a long-range bomber or if you're a, a tactical aircraft, this UAV can have its sensors going, you know, 20 kilometers in advance of you, and it's already preparing the plane behind for an attack. Mm. So by the time the actual, the real expensive aircraft comes in, you've already got the information you need, so they can work together. Mm. And it won't be long wow. until they're flying in groups and swarms. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. There you go. Oh, no, that's – I mean, it's 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 a massive industry. It's probably only going to grow. Collaborative robots are another one, or cobots, they call them. Um, and there's also construction robots out there. And, and this area is growing very quickly because it's one of the places where uh, robots really do make a lot of sense. You've got um, – you're dealing with a lot of height. You're dealing with a lot of heavy material. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of danger. And, and really, like it is it, – the, the, the act of constructing something – all it's already mapped out, you know, like you, you make your blueprints, then uh, basically all the builders are doing are turning blueprints into reality. Mm. And so that means the plan is already there. And if you can teach robots how to read that plan, um, then uh, so much of that can be automated. 
Yeah, I, I've invested in a company called Fastbook Robotics or FBR, and they've they it's a construction robot that's basically that you can it's at the end of this long arm, but in wind or whatever weather, it will be able to put bricks in place against a three D model and seal them together. So I think it was in a day it can build uh, an entire house frame like the structure using sort of mm. like the breeze block type bricks. Yeah, I remember you like sharing this. Jeez, man, it would have only been two years ago um, you shared this and, and kind of showed the company. And how, how are they going now? When I invested in them, they were a very early stage company. Um, they're still mm. um, approaching production. They've got a memorandum of understanding with Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia want to build a huge amount of more new property. So they've actually required, you know, asked for a bunch of these robots for it. Um, mm. the idea is that they're going to offer a wall as a service. So instead of you having to pay for a bunch of bricklayers, you just build the, so what you would do as a construction company is you would build the, the base, like the, you'd put the foundations in place. You'd call these guys in, they'd build the wall for you. And a day later, you're ready to just put the insides in. So it slashes wow. time on production you know, it can work in certain windy conditions and things like that. So it will just put bricks down straight. Uh, can't take a sick day, things like that. Um, so it's it's pretty impressive. And their end goal, that's, that's the Hadrian X, which is basically on the back of a truck. But in the future, they're very likely from seeing the sketches of what they've been thinking of. You could have this at the end of a crane. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of these sketches now. Um this is crazy. So, yeah, that's called FBR, which is an Australian company. Um, and, yeah, interestingly, there is a number of different companies who are looking at robotic bricklayers. But um, this is one I'm really keen on because they've, they've got a number of patents in it. And oh, it's some pretty cool stuff. We've got agricultural robots as well. Ag robots is apparently they're called. I've never heard them called. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Agbot suits a bit better, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've covered it. We've covered a couple of them, haven't we? We've um, there was one that we looked at that uh, yeah. we kind of get rid of the, the all the weeds, like it kind of could identify them and just spray a little tiny bit of chemical on the weeds and not actually touch the um, the the vegetables, which I can tell you is huge. Like that is acts actually massive because a lot of the reason farmers have to spray chemicals on their produce is to keep a lot of the weeds away. Mm. Um, and if you can start getting robots to spray. Uh, and kill just the weeds or kill just the bugs or even remove them by hand, mm. you could feasibly have every farmer go organic if they wanted to. Because wasn't that when we looked at it, like a spindly-looking robot? It was like a massive yeah. spider that would just walk oh, over the farm really and, just, bizarre. and just spray wherever it saw weeds. Yep. That's so cool. Yep. Yeah, and there's a bunch of applications. I mean, I can just remember standing out in the paddock, mate, years ago, like doing menial tasks and thinking – you could so easily automate this. Like if, if robotics was at the point where it's kind of getting to now, like there's a bunch of applications for robots. Uh, there's all sorts of other ones, uh, medical robots, kitchen automation, uh, robots that clean up contaminated areas mm. or like work in toxic areas. I think that's a massive one. Mm. Um, domestic robots, it will be, I think, a huge market. Because we've got like robotic a, vacuums and stuff, don't we? Oh, I mean, those. that's the precursor, isn't it? I mean, the robotic vacuum is really a precursor to a robot that can do most 
uh, house chores, mm. you know, can 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 clean your house, can um, organise your house, can shift things around to maximise your storage, can look after your kids. I mean, it, mate, the possibilities for domestic robots are endless. Mm. Mm. And you can feasibly see a time where uh, everyone has like a maid or a, a, a butler robot, you know, that just mm. kind of takes care of everything in the home, mm. for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many opportunities in the mundane parts of life. You've got so many repetitive and repeatable physical tasks. And it's really like what you're saying with when you were doing stuff on the farm, that's repetitive and repeatable. Yeah, I think that's like the key for robots is that like you basically start with the simple and repeatable tasks. I mean, you, especially if the environment can be controlled. I mean, that's why we've seen robots have come so far in manufacturing because it's happening in a factory where everything is constructed with the intention of bringing robots into that environment. So it's almost like a sandbox where these robots have the optimal um, environments to just do their thing, you mm. know, Um and I think that's where the opportunity is. It's to it's start with something that's kind of like it's very hard for things to go wrong. I mean, it's the same thing with building those walls, you know, like you just make sure you're on a flat piece of land, uh, you scope it out first and kind of make sure that everything's fine and then you just get the thing to build the wall. Mm. Um, that's simple and repeatable. Mm. Um, and then you build out from that, you know. I mean, that's – I think that's why like, a, 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 like dr- driverless cars are taking so long because – it's a completely different environment with a lot of extra factors and moving pieces. Why don't we have a look at what the market is like right now for industrial robots? The 10 top companies who manufacture industrial robots, we haven't necessarily heard of all of them. I mean, why don't we start with ABB, um, mm. which is uh, Asia Brown Bavari. It's a Swiss-Swedish um, multinational based out of Zurich, Switzerland. They're the leading supplier of industrial robots and robot software equipment and complete application solutions. Yeah, and like, and like you said, you've never really heard of them. I mean, and that's the same with Yaskawa. Like, they're a Japanese company. Um, they manufacture servos, motion controllers, AC motor drives, switches, and industrial robots. And again... Uh, like one of the like the second largest company in the world for this stuff. Yeah, I mean, next to KUKA, a German manufacturer head, headquartered in Bavaria, wonderful place. They make industrial robots and solutions for factory automation. Next comes Fanuc, um, a massive company. Uh, Fanuc Corporation is headquartered in uh, in Japan as well, and they provide automation products and services such as robotics and wireless systems. Yeah, and there's there's a there's a number of others. Um, most of these are in Japan or Switzerland. There's one from the states, one in Italy. But uh, there are two familiar names in this list, and that's uh, two names you probably don't really associate with auto- automation um, and robotics at all. And that's Kawasaki and Epson. But Epson, you look at an you've probably bought an Epson ink printer at that one point in your life when you needed to print something. Mm. Um, and you stuck it in your house, and when you print, and if you ever lifted that lid up and watched the arm move, that's probably where Epson's tech comes from in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kawasaki, like, I mean, they they're known for motorbikes, and like, I think they've taken a similar thing where they've probably uh, used the equipment initially to build their motorbikes, and they've just kind of branched out and branched out. And now they do aerospace and defense and all sorts of other things. Yeah, so- I never knew that they made ships. Which is wild. Yeah. You just, there's just so much of this that goes on at such a high enterprise level that you, you, 
yeah, you just you don't even really see it unless you're a large company in the market for some of this stuff. But Japan um, is really not messing around when it comes to the top ten companies for it because I guess probably for a few reasons. One, China's so close by, but secondly, mm. Japan is just just so on the robotic side of things. It's just wild. Mm. It's almost a stereotype. Well, got, I mean, they've got to get to the point where they can build, you know, Gundams and mechs, so, <laughs> which will be awesome. <laughs> the reality is, I, mean, I think mainly because of Japan, that the, the lion's share of the market is actually in the Asia-Pacific region well, uh, for robotics. Yeah, well, I guess that's probably where most of the construction of things, creation of things happens. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Asia-Pacific accounts for 63% of the industrial robotics market followed by Europe at 15% and then 9.3% for, for North America. The rest of the world is about 11%, but that's wild. Europe yeah. or Asia, number one by far, Yeah, and then Europe and North America lagging far behind. Yeah, so we've covered some of the big companies um, in robotics, but there are other companies that are that, – that are kind of up and coming and they're companies to watch. And some of these are familiar, some of these aren't as familiar. But we just wanted to pick a few companies that are probably going to start making waves in the robotics world in the not-too-distant future. Let's start with Amazon. And now the robot report says that the reasons to watch are because Bloomberg reported in April 2018 that Amazon Lab 126, which is their R&D division for, um, for Amazon, they were working on a domestic robot and... There haven't been any updates since, and the project's apparently called Vesta, but the robot reportedly could be an Alexa on wheels. Yeah, which is just, I mean, that's crazy. You think of what Alexa does already, and, and it makes sense for them to think about putting it on wheels. And they've reported that prototypes of the robots have computer vision software and can navigate through homes. And they've said that Amazon hoped to begin seeding the robots in employees' homes by the end of 2018 and potentially with consumers as early as 2019. Oh, the next company is Boston Dynamics. Now, we were talking about Spot, which is just going on sale, and then Atlas, which is the the two-legged robot. But the reasons to watch them is like, yeah, they've got all these viral videos, which is cool. But but you know, seeing what they're doing, they've they've been around for about 30 years, but you know, when it comes to having a spot mini, which is a very small robot inspecting construction sites in Japan, um, they've they've been doing so much research. So it's really something to watch for. You know, if you subscribe to their YouTube channel, you'll be freaked out a few times a year for sure. So Harvard's Wiss Institute uh, bioinspired soft robotics labs, which is um, the one of the institutes that Bill Gates is involved in as well, and. Um, Robot Report have said this is one of the big ones to watch. Um, they've um, they've essentially created soft exosuits and soft robotic gloves to augment and restore human performance, uh, while their microbiotics labs, among other things, developed RoboBee, which is a flying microbot half the size of a paperclip and weighs less than one-tenth of a gram. That's insane. And that's just a few of the things that they're doing. Um, you've also got UB Tech building capable humanoid robots is pretty hard and and Boston Dynamics have set the bar but UB Tech is a Chinese company and they're known for toy robots but they've raised nearly a billion dollars with a 5 billion dollar valuation turning their walker bipedal robot which they introduced at CES in 2018 
into a full-blown humanoid um, at CES 2019. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they said their Walker robot has the intelligence and capabilities to make a helpful impact in any home or business in the very near future. Um, but so it's, you know, there's, there's another competitor there to Boston Dynamics that are up and coming, and that's UB Tech out of China. Mm. So what do you reckon about this whole idea of robotics as a service? Because that's what this construction company, Fastbit Robotics, are doing. Where are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's like it makes a lot of sense. Like ro- robots, at least for the foreseeable future, for that kind of stuff, are going to be very expensive, and it probably makes more sense just to uh, rent robots and also for these robotics company to target use cases where they only need to be used for you know maybe one day, mm. and someone else can rent them mm. for one day. Mm. Um, and I mean, the reality is like less than fifteen percent of the warehouses in the US are currently automated, uh, but that's going to increase dramatically, and they're actually predicting that. The market in the US alone is going to top $22 billion in net worth by 2021, which is only two years away. Mm, That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, you really wonder whether in the future we'll be able to go on the piratebay.org and download the plans to this beautiful house, buy some land and rent a robot to just spend three days you know, in in twenty years from now, it would it really be un, unfeasible for a robot to, you know, once you've got the basement, uh, the foundations in order, to just get a robot to come mm. on board and just build your dream house? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be. And I mean, I don't like the other thing to say is too, like open source and three D printing. I think have a massive part to play in there. So I can see a real convergence between uh, the open source world, the three D printing world, and off the grid living. So you could essentially see people in the future, just saying, look, all I need to really live is an internet connection, a 3D printer, and raw materials. I can make my own robots. There's blueprints all over the internet now for all these different robots. They can perform whatever tasks I need. They can collect the material, bring it back to the 3D printers, and I can print more material, more robots, and like you know, print farmhands, get them to look after my gardens, get them to set up my hydroponics, get them to... Whatever the task is, I mean, you know, in the, I can fully see a future where people in are able to essentially just live off a small plot of land and a 3D printer. Well, you made the great point there on raw materials. I mean, the one thing that's not going to change is the things that we've got to make things out of. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, mm. And then, yeah, surgery is already being... You know, robotics is already taking part in that. Mm. Where do you reckon it comes in in other areas? Oh, look, I think um, a really kind of left field one, but just one I thought of was um, professional sports. Ooh. So, like, um, training, you know, I mean, a lot of sports, uh, I'm thinking of like cricket is something I really love. Um, oh, yeah. Um, you know, you have like ball machines at the moment, yeah, like, which are kind of yeah, robots. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, so that's, that, wait, that simulates somebody bowling. A cricket ball, essentially. Team. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's it's not great. Like it, it it can simulate it to a certain extent, but it's no real replacement for having someone actually bowl to you. But um, you know, as ro- robots increase in their complexity, and even some of this Boston Dynamics stuff, you know, you could potentially see a robot running up and bowling and actually being as good as a human being. And you know, you basically oh, yeah. the advantage yeah, is, you know, you can say. Sorry, yeah, well, you just use AI to you just use AI to analyze what you're not doing that well, right? Yeah. So if you've gotten out, you know, in several innings in certain ways, 
you tell the AI, okay, I want you to program the robot to just concentrate on that thing I'm getting out to. And I want it to, for the next hour, to bowl that particular way to me over and over and over and over and over again until I get it. Wow. And, like, you can't get a human to do that. I mean, they, wow. they can't do it exactly. But you can get a robot to do something that's repeatable and simple every single time. So, And that's across all, all kinds of sports, you know. You, you, it's you, so you can, true. Yeah. I mean, you take – let's say you get humanoid, you know, bipedal robots. You'd have to fast-forward 30 years here probably at least. Um, but, you know, if you take every piece of footage of the top football player that you're going to play against next match, mm. after this match you say, okay, we've got a football match coming up next next month and Ronaldinho is going to be up against you. So what we're going to do is we're going to put this robot into Ronaldinho mode and the robot is going to take every single match that Ronaldinho has ever played and play against you. Yeah. Or same with boxing. Imagine fighting. And it says that this is going to be Mike Tyson that you're up against. And we've mm. taken every Mike Tyson match. Oh, mm. that'll be. I think it'll be a huge industry. Wouldn't want to be the person on the receiving end of that, but yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely train it. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and, and look, and like that—that that goes for service workers too. I mean, you think of all the, all the cleaners and the janitors, and like oh, this huge industry. That's uh, like hotel industry is a perfect example of like this huge service industry that's kind of sprung up around hospitality, um, where it, the 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 what, what's what's happening is incredibly repeatable, incredibly mm. simple. You know, like hotels are a perfect example. You're going into a room that's basically the same. You're doing basically the same thing every time. Um, you just have to react to what's in there. Exactly. You know, you just, you just, you know, you know what needs to go essentially to get it back to the state that it was at the beginning. Um, this is going to have such a bad impact on human employment, though, because people who do stuff like cleaning are critical because, you know, when someone's vomited on a wall and has landed yeah. on a bit of the carpet, cleaners are so essential for getting rid of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like in saying that, I think it always comes down to cost. You know, I mean, at the moment, mm. we automate certain areas where the cost makes sense. So, like, well, if the robots are cheaper in a manufacturing sense because uh, it works at scale, then there's not as many humans. But for most industries, like, it's not cheaper at the moment. Mm. So there's, you know, like there's there's not that many robots. Mm. Um, and you know, yeah, some companies may respond to this and say, well, we've got to make laws like to protect jobs, but. Like for me, there's there's so much of a parallel between what happened in the industrial revolution and 200 years ago and today. What's happening mm. with automation? I mean, the the reality is like the industrial revolution was really when we first started building robots. Mm. Now they're not not as intelligent today, but like robots at their core are essentially um, tools that can can rep- perform a repeatable task in a consistent manner, mm. right? Like they respond to their programming. And like, so you look at the, the cotton looms and the, um, uh, the, like the, the spinning jerrys and all that kind of stuff that, that got done, all like the steam engines, blah, 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 in the industrial revolution. And people were saying, oh, you know, they're going to, they're going to replace our jobs. Like humans are going to be out of jobs, but like it took away so much of the mundane jobs and created these like, entirely new industries mm. um, based on, you know, the fact that it was kind of getting people out of that and giving them time to focus on other things and, 
you know, opening up new possibilities. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, as much as it's, it is scary from a current employment sense, it's, it's also so, like, so fascinating from a, what, what, from a possibilities sense. So as long as humans are cheaper to carry out a specific task, we won't have robots. Now, if you look at this in a very capitalistic sense, people who have money to pay for an action to be delivered – they just want the cheapest possible cost for the action to be delivered, whether that's using software or hardware or people. Whatever's cheapest for them and makes the most profit will work. What what potential outcomes can you see legally of this happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I can see countries trying to fight a lot of this by making laws, you know, prohibit certain jobs being automated or have companies protect jobs. Like the taxis, like sort of like the t- having the taxi rights groups. Yeah, but but I mean, at the end of the day, like you can't, you just can't fight the market. Like, it's particularly in, in an increasingly global world, countries that do that make laws to kind of fight automation are quickly going to fall behind and kind of lose their competitive advantage against other countries and other companies that that embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wealth is going to follow those countries that embrace it because they're going to produce more. They're going to have more possibilities. And so, like, it's, it's going to be, yeah, like I alluded to before, like similar to the Industrial Revolution where the first movers will get the advantage. Um, and if you want to get the benefits, you just need to rip the Band-Aid off mm. and you just need to let the market take care of it because, um, yes, it will mean some retraining. It will probably mean some people uh, do go out of jobs. But uh, I, th- I think just like the Industrial Revolution, it will be a net positive for in the long run, and it has to happen. Like you can't, you can't fight it forever. But yeah, robotics are going to be super awesome. Um, nothing to worry about if you do anything like driving a taxi or cleaning rooms or building things from ha- by your ha- by hand or yeah, coming up with ideas. Don't worry, uh, a robot will never take your job. So subscribe to the FOMO Show to find out other ways to stay in employment. Do you know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share this with them. You can jump on our telegram at fomo.show slash telegram. You can find us at fomo.show. And on YouTube at fomo.show slash YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore fomo underscore show. If you like our show, please feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and joining us. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. No FOMO. No freaking FOMO. Don't be afraid. Seriously, it's just robots. <laughs> what did you have to fear? <laughs> uh, <laughs> calm down. Mm. Calm down, citizen. You're under arrest. <laughs> Do not resist. You have breached section 453, subsection A, subsection G, subsection II of the criminal code we live we live yeah yeah boy <laughs> oh, <laughs> we major bitcoins blow eight grand mate it's on sale right that's a great time to be it's alive a really good time to be alive why are you talking about plants and leaves? No <laughs> 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 So, I mean, there's, we're going to have to learn from the other countries that have this. I mean, in 
um, different states you've got in America. They they in, in some of the states there they they collect they use the tax money they collect to invest in mental health. Um, in Canada, there's they've got law saying that plants need to be kept out of public view. Um, what else is there? Yeah, in like some US states, you like you uh, you're required to provide certain information kind of at the at the storefront or on the packaging. Oh, okay. So. Um, I've heard that, like in Colorado, for example, um, it may have actually been Eric Voorhees on the Bitcoin uh, on what Bitcoin did talking about this. He said that you know you kind of go into the distil- distillery, another uh, dispensary, um, and <laughs> you go into the dispensary and um, and you know they'll they'll kind of ask you, oh, you know, what kind of health issues do you have, if any, or maybe, and they'll kind of say, oh, okay, well, this one is good for this, this one's good for this, because there's all sorts of apparently there's all sorts of different. Um, Benefits to different types of cannabis plants and different you know, things taken. Like there's different. Uh, is it what, what's what's the um the the actual content that like does THC? all the action in your head? THC, yeah. Like there's different THC content. It's kind of like if you you know like the alcohol content in different drinks. Um, but yeah, like I've heard that you know the quality over there is significantly improved now because it's all kind of come out and it's sold at a retail yeah. level. Um, but uh, but interestingly enough, like in the in the states anyway, where it's been legalized, so in, as opposed to decriminalized, um, the grey market's still around because it's it's taxed really heavily. Like mm. particularly in California, I think like that's one of the biggest issues there. Like people are like they're not really allowed to just grow their own plants in the backyard, but it makes more economic sense for a lot of them to still See, do that's, that. that that's where, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's where it comes down to like, it's like Netflix versus the pirate bay. If they need to make it yeah. competitive with the yeah. black market. Yeah. Like, it, it, yeah. Like, and that's, that's where this whole decriminalization versus legalization thing comes in, you know, like, uh, like some, some States are decriminalizing it over there, which mm-hmm. is basically just saying, uh, it's okay. Like we're not going to prosecute you, but we're also not going to make any laws about it. Mm. Um, whereas, like legalization is more like, okay, here's this bill. Here's how we're going to regulate it. Here's how we're going to tax it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, as you know, as fans of the free market, like we should probably be preferring decriminalizing it because then that kind of just lets, like, essentially, then you can just it, it can be engaged in peer to peer. It can be sold at shops. There's a lot less restrictions on it as opposed to legalization which kind of creates a framework around it and then you start having to deal with licenses and taxes and all sorts of things like that so mm. yeah mm. anyway mm. so yes One, um, so next bit of news oh did you want to no no nothing okay <laughs> yeah think very carefully just your wording mate <laughs> It's all we've heard since we were young children, and people are naturally terrified. I mean, you you, you look at like eco, mm. what's it called? It's called eco um, anxiety. Like children are very, very like there are there are children who are turning mm. up to psychiatrists who are genuinely afraid of the future. Um, mm. And the important thing is, we need to leave these people a better world. But it is really important that we don't make it sort of a zero sum, you know, the planet's going to die unless you do what I want. Um, That's what I find is really important. And because it is important to note that, yeah, the news outlets that we all listen to don't necessarily all share the news of all of the scientists who are there. When you get emotions in these kind of things, that's, that's what happens, you know, and then there's, there's agendas and you'd, you'd have to be fooling yourself to think that there are no agendas on both sides of this argument. And I guess for us, 
on the ground. It's about saying, well, what, mm. like what? Like I think everyone can agree that um, we want to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. You know, so let's let's focus on that. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So Boston Dynamics. Yeah, oh, it's hard to put an apostrophe on a word. This week, we are doing a feature on the state of robotics. Well, why don't you kick us off, mate? So. <laughs> <laughs> not so fast. <laughs> oh, you got me. I was not ready. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to pour some more whiskey. Sorry, let me just take a drink. I'll... How good is whiskey? Oh, Seriously. It's a pretty good time. Oh, that whiskey I got from the whiskey club is just... Just fantastic. Yeah. It's just so nice. Whoa. I've just poured something else then, but that's what, that's what I was having before. It's um it's like an American um single malt. Oh yeah. Was that the um The Westwood. Mm. Yeah, it's just like it's like a small batch um uh one. And yeah, mate, like it's 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 one of the nicest ones I've ever had. Wow. It's really good. Man, when all the boys are a bit older and we all have our own places and stuff. I reckon, well, I'm certainly going to get on to brewing my own alcohol mm. and obviously not selling it to other people because that's illegal, but I mean <laughs> just donating to friends. I mean, if, if some if some Bitcoin happens to end up in your account, look, well. Look, that's like, not my fault. That's not, that's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I coerced him to use his. That's right. Yeah, I wonder if we replace the government with robots if they'd make things a lot more efficient. Oh, dude, 100%. Hold on, maybe that should be the number one reason is we just replace our government because, you know, we vote for a robot and we just ask the robot to do what we want and the robot's like, my mandate is for these people. My election promises yeah. must be kept. Yes. <laughs> oh, my days. Freaking Google Chrome, I want to kill you. you gotta got to get on this Firefox train, mate. Fudge. Like, yeah, like at the end of the day, like we we do have mm. programming that we respond to, like, and we do have, I mean, the DNAs, like they've mapped DNA chains now, you know, and there's certain things that are like it or not pre pre-programmed in that DNA. Um, but at the same time, like, and you're really kind of getting into the metaphysical and the philosophical about you know how you define self and and uh, you know do you have a soul and things like that because. In a way, that's, that's what a lot of this argument comes down to, you know. Like, mm-hmm. if 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 we agree that human humans have like a soul, like they have a, a like a tangible self, you know, that's more than just a collection of flesh and bone, um, you know, is that what makes us mm-hmm. human? Is that what gives us you know, natural rights? Or will there be a time where robots maybe should be entitled to? To natural rights. <laughs> Look, I think we need to cut you off right now and uh, end the show Ooh. because, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe we should just make that whole section like an outtake. Too much. <laughs>